Hey guys, welcome to the view from the front. My name is Stan and I hope you're doing well from wherever you're joining us from. We have a lot to cover in tonight's episode and I can't wait to get into it. But first, just in case this is the first time you've ever tuned in, let me tell you what the show is about. Each week, I primarily do three things in every episode. First, I cover defense news and hotspots happening around the world that could affect our country. Secondly, I work to unite the nation and make you feel better and more optimistic about the country's future, because it's probably not as bad as you've been hearing. Finally, at the end of each episode, I share some motivation and inspiration, because we all can use a little of that. In all honesty, by the end of this show, you should be a little better informed about our military and the events happening out there that don't typically make the news. You'll be a little more positive about our country and its future. Finally, you'll be a little stronger emotionally and mentally. That's what my goal is, and I try to do that while I'm working my hardest to unify our country. Because without question, our country's greatest threat is our anger toward each other and this wide political divide. So if you've been looking for a calmer, more optimistic news source, you've come to the right place. In fact, you may have come to just about the only place. Before we get to the news today... I want to make a little bit of a quick announcement regarding the show, and that is you will not be seeing this episode or any future episodes in the short term for sure on YouTube, and I want to explain why just briefly. As I've said in some previous episodes, I was never fully comfortable on video, so I've been trying to deal with that for several months, but it's really hard to try to make your points and not sound like an idiot, and not say ums and ahs while looking at a camera the entire time. So I tried some various ways to do that, and I think I got a little better at it, but it was work, and it wasn't the most enjoyable thing. And I would try to use my hands to try to be even somewhat visually appealing, because I would watch these episodes every week, which would be a nightmare. So I was never really enjoying it, and worse... As you know, if you've ever uploaded any long video to YouTube, and many of these of mine were usually 45 minutes to an hour, although I have been trying to cut them down to 30 minutes, but there was processing time for the video, there was uploading time for the video, and so all of that, plus being uncomfortable, plus last week I had some just absurd technical issues where the camera wouldn't work for a bit, had to redo a section or so, It was just kind of a pain, and it was just finally like, you know, Stan, this is not your element. If you are a land creature, do not get in the water. So I'm hanging that up for the short term. So if you're looking for this on YouTube, it's not going to be there in the short term. Just find it in whatever channel you normally listen to podcasts on. Enough of all of that. Let's get to the news. We're going to begin with U.S. news and... There's some good news, bad news there as far as Ukraine funding, which is something I am passionate about and care a lot about. The good news is that the Senate passed a $95 billion foreign aid bill. They passed it pretty strongly, actually. It was a 70 to 29 vote. Of course, it takes 60 votes to pass, so they passed it 70 to 29. That's the good news. It would provide $60 billion to help support Ukraine. Obviously, Ukraine's been battling 
Russia since Russia invaded back in February of 2022. That, of course, was a second invasion or third, depending on how you count, since Russia initially invaded Ukraine back in 2014 when it invaded the Crimean Peninsula. Nevertheless, the package would provide $60 billion to support Ukraine, which Congress has been delaying passage of since November. So we're now four months into a delay. The Senate passes at 70 to 29. In that bill, $60 billion to Ukraine, as I said, $14 billion in military assistance to Israel, $9 billion in humanitarian assistance to Gaza, and then there's $5 billion to help defend Taiwan from China. So again, $60 billion to help support Ukraine, $14 billion military assistance to Israel, $9 billion humanitarian assistance to Gaza, and then $5 billion to defend Taiwan. Now, I was going to go all into a few pieces of the details regarding the complicated fight that will happen in the House to pass this, and it would involve essentially trying to get a discharge petition passed since the Speaker of the House will not bring it to the floor. It would take 218 signatures. It was going to be a challenge at best, but just shortly before I started filming this podcast, the House of Representatives, in its infinite wisdom... And despite the fact that it spends probably half the year not working anyway or in session, they are about to take part in a large break until February 28th, unless something happens. Now, this was previously scheduled, but it's still an almost two-week-long break while there are so many important issues happening out there. I do really hope something changes and they don't go into recess, but that is the current schedule as of Wednesday at 10.30 p.m. Now, even if they do go back in session or once they return to session, this is going to be a pretty challenging fight. And the reason is, is that those on the far left, there are things in this bill that annoy certain members. And so some Republicans are against the Ukraine aid, because President Trump is against it and because they've convinced a decent percentage of Republican voters to be against it. So they're not going to get all of the votes from the right. On the flip side, on the left, some progressives are against this bill because it it includes funding for Israel. And so some folks like AOC... And the squad, some of those on the far left, are opposed to that. So it'll be a matter of, can they get enough votes to pass this? Some members are, and you really can't make this up, saying that they won't vote for this unless it includes a border bill, which, as a refresher, just a week plus ago, there was a all-encompassing bill that included a border security bill and all of this aid. The House said, no, we don't want it that way. So the Senate broke it apart, managed to pass it, 
And now the House is saying, well, we want the border bill. No surprise, Washington, D.C. is an absolute mess, but this is not, unfortunately, a humorous time to laugh at the folly of it all because the reality is that Ukrainians are fighting for a struggle of survival against the Russians as their ammunition continues to run low. So this isn't, this is just a very frustrating situation. We're going to move to the next topic, but unfortunately, I do have to discuss one more political matter because it was that big of a deal. Sadly, and unfortunately, former President Donald Trump said since the last episode that, quote, Russia should do whatever the hell they want, end quote, against NATO allies who haven't met their spending targets. Now, that was a huge media firestorm that followed, and I'll, we'll put a link in the Substack notes that show that his allies are trying to say, don't take him serious. In fact, in the link that I'm sharing, one of them says, and you really cannot make this up, but literally says, why the media takes these off-the-cuff comments so serious is beyond me. Trump says one thing and does another. He was at a rally, and it's meant for right-wing outlets like One America Network. Don't pay attention to them. Now, this person was granted anonymity to speak freely, and the person who's a close advisor said that Trump knows that if Russia did invade some of these NATO countries, he would have to defend them. But think how crazy that is, that Trump would know that and would basically say something that could be read incorrectly by Russia as a green light should he become elected, and then he'd have to turn around and send American troops over there to fight Russia. So it was an irresponsible comment at absolute best case. That's the best spin I can possibly put on it. Now, a lot of others are taking it far more serious. Let me just read just a couple of quick things that... I think do need to be said, unfortunately. President Biden said, quote, The whole world heard it. The worst thing is he means it. It's dumb. It's shameful. It's un-American. So those were the words of President Joe Biden. Let me share just a couple of other things, and then we will move on to from this, I promise. John Bolton, who was Trump's former national security advisor, so he's been in a lot of rooms with President or former President Trump, he said that the substance of what Trump said this past week is true. Now, Bolton is a critic of Trump now, but he did serve under him. At one time, he was a fan of President, former President Trump. But he added, and again, these comments are in the link that will be in the Substack notes. He said, I would say... This is John Bolton, quote, I would say, particularly to those Republicans who say, oh, this is just Trump talking like Trump, that, you know, I, I being John Bolton, I was in the room where he damn near withdrew from NATO. And of course, he was talked out of that. So these are probably, or potentially, I shouldn't say probably, these are potentially core beliefs of former President Trump who, of course, is against Ukraine funding, has been consistently, 
was even during the time of his own administration when Congress approved defensive funding for Ukraine and then President Trump held that up. So he's consistently been against funding Ukraine and he has consistently, if there's one thing consistent, he has never, to my knowledge, ever said anything negative about Russian President Vladimir Putin. That's probably the one person he's never said anything about. If I'm wrong, you send me a link, but I don't think you will find anything that former President Trump has ever said negative about Putin. One final thing, since the funding of these countries from NATO, as Trump likes to say, is such a big deal, I want to just share something that was said by former NATO Supreme Allied Commander Wes or Wesley Clark, depending on how you want to term him. But let me just read his comment. On 9-11, or September 11th, so on 9-11, when America was under attack, NATO nations all mobilized to come to our defense and fought alongside us to crush Al-Qaeda. They didn't ask for money. They didn't put strings on it. This is the kind of ironclad commitment that has kept Western democracies, including our own, alive for 75 years. For Donald Trump to publicly signal to Vladimir Putin that he can take as much of Europe as he wants and we will sit by and cheer him on isn't just breaking the promise the United States has made and it isn't just threatening Europe. It is encouraging World War III, which will hit our shores and cost American lives. And the absolute final thing that I will say on this, and I will let it go, I will put into the Substack notes a chart of how much each NATO country has spent toward defense spending, and this chart's from 2023, but it's just important to note that the 31 members of NATO commit to spending 2% of their gross domestic product. But as you look at the list, you will see some, like Poland, that's up to almost 4%, The U.S. spends 3.49%. Greece is at 3%. Estonia, Lithuania, Finland, Romania, Hungary, Latvia. Those countries, including Slovakia, are all all above 2%. And basically, the countries that are closest to Russia that would be invaded first spend more than those that are a little further behind that wall, so to speak. So I'll put that into the Substack notes so you can look at this chart because it is a, a great chart. But the facts are pretty simple. The commitment is a guideline. It's not a requirement. It's not like if you don't pay 2% of, and pay is the wrong word, but if you don't fund defensive budgetary equipment, ammunition, you know, training, etc., if you don't spend 2% toward you know, defensive spending that they're going to kick you out of NATO. It's simply a guideline. And the whole point of NATO is that all of these countries can spend a little less because if Vladimir Putin were to invade any of them, all of them will retaliate. It's the entire premise of an alliance so that a large group of countries provides more defensive posture than one standing alone. It would be like no one is going to mess with you know one member of 
someone out on the playground if there are five or 10 or 15, or in NATO's case, 31 other people who say, hey, if you touch this smaller person, you big football player, there are 31 members of the band that are going to defend this smaller player so that you don't dare pick on any of us because we're all little bitty band members and you big football players are scary. That's the whole premise. So I'm not sure why this is even, what are we, seven plus years after Trump was president, or three years, he was president four years before that, so we're seven years into him learning about NATO, that he still doesn't quite get this. I'm not sure why that is, but he has been briefed on it numerous times, and he always continues to misstate the entire concept of NATO, the entire concept of what the commitments are. So it's a little frustrating. But hopefully this short little bit that I covered tonight helps clear it up in your mind. Okay, enough political news even though all of that does affect our defense posture, it does affect our alliances, it does affect our standing, and even the willingness of other countries such as Russia or China or even Iran or North Korea to take actions that could lead to further destabilization or future wars. So I do believe that stuff's important, but I don't like to dig much onto it. So let's go military news from here on out, I promise. I want to talk about one final military item as far as the U.S. goes. And the Navy has talked about that the ongoing battles in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden against the Iran-backed Houthis has created what are being called historic battles, according to some of the folks in the Navy. And one of those folks includes the Chief of Naval Operations, Lisa Franchetti. And Franchetti made a point that is worth repeating, I think. First of all, in comments, which I have a link to in the Substack notes or episode notes, depending on where you're listening to us at, Franchetti said that the Navy has so far shot down 14 anti-ship ballistic missiles. Now, ballistic missiles are missiles that are fired far into the sky, into space almost, or sometimes in cases they are, but fired very high altitude, and they come racing down to hit a target, or in this case, a ship. So the Navy has destroyed 14 of these. This is important because one of the things the Navy has worried about, especially if a conflict happened with China, is that China has some aircraft carrier killing missiles. Now they have two types, and these are pretty impressive to say the least. One of them can actually hit a target 2,500 miles away. So they've got one that can fire a thousand miles, it's called the DF-21D, and then they've got another one that's called the DF-26B, 2,500 miles. So this is a huge distance, and according to China, these things can sink a carrier. The long-range one, the DF-26B, which again can go 2,500 miles, has a two-stage solid-fuel rocket, has a 4,000-pound payload. It can be loaded with a nuclear weapon, but it's typically conventional weapons is how it would likely be used. It's 46 feet long, it weighs 22 tons, 
And China has a lot of these. Perhaps as many as 200 launchers alone. So the China believes it could fire these ballistic missiles into space, 2,500 miles away, potentially hundreds of them, and each of these with a 4,000-pound warhead would race into the atmosphere. They have active terminals in their... They basically can be controlled to seek out targets, and they would target the largest, most important ship, And so China believes it can sink American carriers, which would vastly change the dynamics of any naval situation since the United States has used carriers to dominate large areas going all the way back to World War II when we had prop planes flying off of carriers and back when carriers in a single span of just a few years made massive battleships obsolete. And so the big guns on the battleships didn't matter, the armor on the battleships didn't matter, because carriers launching aircraft could sink those without the battleships ever even being able to fire a shot. So China believes these missiles can make, have made U.S. carriers, aircraft carriers, obsolete. And so the reason I bring all this up is because Franchetti, the chief of naval operations, is saying, hey, Our Navy has shot down 14 anti-ship ballistic missiles for, quote, the first time in history, end quote. Now, I did some research on these carrier-killing missiles, and the U.S. believes that, obviously, if these are fired, as they come into range, all of the ships have anti-air missiles on them. And so there would be lots of missiles fired up from the naval armada, ever how large it might be, around the aircraft carrier, trying to take down these missiles. So there'd be missiles flying up, and then as it got closer, they would eventually start using their phalanx anti-aircraft machine guns, which are impressive on their own. And so it would essentially come down to how many missiles could China fire How many could we take down with our anti-air missiles? And then how many could we take down with the close-range machine guns or cannons? These are the kinds of things that I'm sure in war game situations the Navy has looked at. But it is significant that our United States Navy has, in combat situations shot down 14 anti-ship ballistic missiles. Even though I'm sure these aren't as fast or as impressive as what China would be using against us. This is like any sports analogy. It's no longer just a hypothetical. It's no longer on a test range or a scrimmage. In a real-life scenario, our Navy has shot down 14 anti-ship ballistic missiles. And maybe this isn't the best team out there, so to speak, But we're getting actual real-world experience on a small scale, which hopefully will help save lives should, you know, God forbid something happen between us and China. Now, the other interesting thing that Franchetti, Chief of Naval Operations uh, Lisa Franchetti said, was that in this historic battles that are taking place, The United States Navy has destroyed more than 70 drones, 
Obviously, drones are a threat in the modern world that we see now, especially in fighting in, inside Ukraine against Russia. But they've shot down more than 70 drones. But even more impressive, they have destroyed seven cruise missiles. So you say, well, Stan, what's a cruise missile? Why, how is that different than a ballistic missile? Just in case you don't know, cruise missiles usually are low altitude. Sometimes they fly as low as 50 feet off of the seafloor or land floor. And the reason those are so dangerous is that often they don't show up on radar. So they can usually get pretty close or they're hard to be detected. And then you're already within very close range systems if they're not detected. But the Navy has had experience destroying those as well and testing its reflexes, so to speak, and has destroyed seven cruise missiles. Now, are they as good as what China would use? Probably not, but again... To use the sports analogy, it's, we're getting reps in to see how the Navy can defend itself against these sophisticated weapon systems. And I am sure they are learning very important lessons on fire control, on missile detection, probably even game planning. Hey, had that one gotten through, how would we have dealt with that situation. So these are important things happening and we're getting some real world experience that is important. I have a link to the article if you want to read it, by the way, in the Substack notes. But one other little thing I wanted to mention is Franchetti said something that really hadn't hit me. But Franchetti said the U.S. Navy is being challenged in the world's waters to a level that it hasn't been since World War II. And I think we'd all agree with that. The Navy is stretched thin. We've had every administration probably going back since World War II cut the Navy smaller and smaller and smaller, and so it's down to like 300 ships or less. So they're stretched thin, trying to deal with a lot of different maritime situations. And Franchetti said a great quote that I wanted to end this small section on. Franchetti said, For the first time since World War II, we no longer operate from a maritime sanctuary against competitors who cannot threaten us today. Sea control is neither guaranteed nor freely given. So again, sea control is neither guaranteed nor freely, freely given. And so what Franchetti is obviously saying is that the days of us completely controlling the ocean and being able to say, hey, in this 300-mile circle of all our ships... Nobody's coming. No no Russian planes are going to come near us. No Chinese planes, etc. Those days are gone. And so whether it's the Houthi anti-ship missiles or ballistic missiles, or if it's China, the Navy is no longer... Maybe they still are the biggest kid on the block, but it is not the dominant level that it once was. And so it's impressive what the Navy's been able to do I hope they're learning some great lessons from this all. And we all need to both remember and appreciate everything the Navy's doing right now because they're being called to do a lot of things. I hope you got something from that small segment about the U.S. Navy. I found all of that very interesting, so I hope you did as well. We're going to do a quick break, and then we're going to move into some Ukraine news. <laughs> Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to and would like to support what I'm doing, you can sign up on my Substack page or on my Patreon page to help support the show. 
For $5 per month, you can help me grow this into something even bigger. And I think by doing that in a weird way, you'll help contribute to me pulling off something I really want to do, but at a much larger level. You'll help unify our country, you'll help educate more voters, and ultimately, you'll help more people become more engaged and better informed. We all know that studies prove that more informed, more engaged citizens lead to a better government, and ultimately, that will lead to a better country. I really do have some big dreams for this platform, including increased frequency, but I do need some help getting there. Currently, the show is only supported by listeners such as yourself. We have no sponsors or advertisers, but no pressure, especially if you're new. If you're new, just sit back and enjoy it. But if you've been enjoying this for a while, if it's helped bring a sense of calm and faith in our country, then please consider helping support the show. Details for signing up can be found on my Substack page and in the episode notes. Thanks in advance for your support. I really do appreciate it. I've got three stories I want to cover regarding Ukraine. First of all, as we've talked about the last few weeks, President Volodymyr Zelensky had been discussing replacing the head of the army, and he has done so. So I've got a brief article about that in the substack of notes, but Zelensky has fired, I guess is the best word, but has fired Valerie Zaluznia, and the replacement is a gentleman by the name of Alexander Sarisky. Still not a lot known about this guy yet. I'll do some digging and, and get a little bit. I saw some initial information about him released, but wasn't comfortable sharing all that until I fact-checked it a little first. But the reality is, is that, as has been talked about the past few weeks, Zelensky has changed the leadership of Ukraine's military. So that's a big step. We'll see what that actually leads to and how that affects the battle from here on out. But clearly Ukraine is struggling with limited resources and as i said several weeks ago i think the final nail for zaluzny has was basically made months and months ago when he did an interview with the economist and said that ukraine was in a stalemate while the offensive was still being attempted and it did lead to many in the West starting to doubt whether Ukraine could achieve anything. Now, perhaps you could say Zaluzny was just stating the reality of what was happening on the ground. I don't know that I would necessarily totally disagree with you, but as I said back then, that's not something the general should say in a surprise interview without informing the president. So that, to me, led to the start of this falling out between President Zelensky and Zaluzny. Now, the second story I wanted to share was that the new head of the Ukrainian military, Alexander Sarisky, has said that Ukrainian troops will shift to defense to drain Russian troops. So basically, one of the first things he did after being put in charge is he said, Ukraine's done trying to 
pound or pry or probe and work its way through Russian lines, they are going to move to the defense. And as a part of the story that discussed that, it is a bit grim for Ukraine right now. The shells and missiles for Ukrainian air defense will only last until March of this year. So it's looking pretty ugly there. And according to Western officials and military experts, many warn that without American help, the armed forces of Ukraine will face a rapid collapse on the front line this year. Now that was in the New York Times and we've been talking for weeks and weeks, going all the way back to November, how ammunition has become increasingly scarce for Ukrainians. And the Russians have been making some gains, especially in one small area around the city of Avdivka. Russia's been trying to take Avdivka for weeks and weeks and weeks. I want to say two or three months now. And it looked as though there were, in fact, some reports that Ukraine had finally decided to pull out because the Russians had this pocket around both sides of Avdivka. There were Russian troops that had been lots of social media shown inside Avdivka. It was not even certain that Ukraine held much of it. And it looked as though Ukraine might actually pull out. But with the change in leadership... That plan has changed, and Ukraine has sent reserves to the area. So they are not giving up on Avdivka, that is under the command of Sarisky. So we're not sure if maybe Zelensky said, hey, you have to hold it, or maybe Sarisky sees that as a good area to fight. The troops are definitely well dug in in that area, but reserves have been moved there. But the overall bigger news is that Ukraine is shifting to a defensive strategy. Now, clearly you don't have to be a, a military genius to know that in the defense you can inflict high casualties, usually at a much lower cost of your own defensive troops who are usually dug in and in prepared positions. And you can use mines and other defensive measures, concertina wire, trenches, these are pretty well-known things, but all kinds of obstacles. So Ukraine is definitely moving to the defense, according to its new general, Sarisky. And now the final story I wanted to mention as far as Ukraine news goes. Ukraine reported that it has sunk another warship. I've got a link to a CNN story. It's a pretty large ship that they sunk. Ukraine used those sea drones that they've been using to destroy or sink a pretty good-sized landing ship of the Russians. And with this, Ukraine has now disabled or destroyed approximately 33% of Russia's warships, including one submarine, 24 ships, and then this most recent one makes the 25th disabled or destroyed Russian warship. So Ukraine, with no navy of its own, has sunk or disabled 33% of Russia's naval capacity, which is just an incredible accomplishment for Ukraine. So they do have some good news there, but as I said in the beginning of the show, it's a little 
frustrating and an uphill fight in the U.S. Congress right now. The only upside I see there is there has been a lot of outcry and a lot of pressure put on those who are trying to hold up the funding. So I'm still an optimist and I'm still hoping something happens in that regard. Let's wrap the news up there. Let's get to the best part of the show, the motivation and inspiration section. This is the motivation and inspiration section. I share these each week because I think all of us could use a few words of encouragement. We all influence those around us, and the work we do at our jobs, in our homes, and in our communities is important. So let's dig a little deeper and step up our game for ourselves, our kids, our spouse, our friends, our community, and our country. Let's spread a little more love and a few more smiles. Here's the first one. A strong soul never gives up, even when their heart feels heavy. They take one more brave step, then another, then another. That's a good one. Again, a strong soul never gives up, even when their heart feels heavy. They take one more brave step, then another, then another. Now, this next one is kind of one of the wisdom ones. Many of those that I do are motivation, but some of them are wisdom ones, so they hopefully make you a little wiser. So this quote is, Friends should be like books. Few, but hand-selected. I like that. Friends should be like books. Few, but hand-selected. All right, here's the next one. Start and end your day with a smile, even if nobody else notices it. Your mind notices it and will put you in the right attitude. So again, start and end your day with a smile, even if nobody else notices it. Your mind notices it and will put you in the right attitude. Now this next one is an acronym for how to face fear. So when you're confronted with fear, F, face, E, everything, A, and R, rise. So the acronym is FACE, face everything, and rise. So again, when you confront fear, F-E-A-R, face everything, and rise. It's pretty good. This next one's a great one. The best preparation for tomorrow is doing your best today. Again, the best preparation for tomorrow is doing your best today. Get stronger every day, right? Then I absolutely love this next one. It's a slow process, but quitting won't speed it up. Man, I love that. Again, it's a slow process, but quitting won't speed it up. Now, I always like to share a few from the Bible because that book it has become such a source of strength and wisdom and calm for me during the past year. So this, I want to read, especially since it's Valentine's Day, we should all, or I guess today is Valentine's Day. If you're listening to this on Thursday and you forgot that Wednesday was Valentine's Day, I'm very sorry, but you have made a huge mistake if you are committed to someone, and you should apologize to them immediately. But in that, you might want to read them this because I'm about to read one of the most famous parts of the Bible about love being patient and love being kind. So if your spouse or significant other is not happy that you forgot, 
Remind them that love is patient and love is kind. So I want to read this part from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. I'm going to read several verses from this because this is so good. As a country, we definitely need to love more. And so I want to share this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. That's such a good, good part of the Bible. Again, of faith, hope, and love. I mean, faith, hope, and love, those are three very good, strong words. But the greatest of these is love. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I mean, that's the goal, right? Regardless of your faith, be a decent human being. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So thanks so much for joining us on this episode. I hope as you go through this week that you act a little nicer on social media and in the world as well as you go about your errands and all. I know social media is really what gets us in trouble because for many of the people out there, you are anonymous. And so you're more willing to kind of spout off at the mouth. But just remember that most Americans are good and they would help you in an emergency, even if you don't agree politically. Now, I do have to finish with two things. I want to say a bit about myself and my books just in case you're new to the show. And then I want to say some words for those who are struggling with PTSD or mental illness, which I do every single show because veterans are 57% higher risk of suicide than their peers of the same age group who haven't served. So first, just a bit about myself and my books. I am a military vet. I spent four years in the Marine Corps, 
all of that time in the infantry. After my enlistment, I went to college at the University of Tennessee. I became a journalist. I spent more than 10 years in the news business. And besides all that, I've written 12 books. Those books include a series about a Marine Corps sniper, several novels about a police detective, and a private investigator. Those are both veterans as well. And I've written a few books about war, such as World War II and Afghanistan. And these books have thankfully been decently successful thanks to all, thanks to all of your all's help. And in fact, I've been fortunate enough to have sold 70,000 copies. So if you're one of those who have bought a copy, I really, really appreciate it. If you're one of those who've told a friend or someone, really appreciate that as well. If you've never seen them, have no idea where to find them, there are links in the episode notes. Or you can go to Amazon and just type in Stan R. Mitchell. Make sure you include the R or it will not come up. Now, secondly, I have to talk about PTSD and suicide for just a moment since veterans are at a 57% higher chance of suicide, which is just horrific. But this isn't just for veterans, it's for all of us, because all of us can get in really low spots in our life. But I think it's important that we remember it's just a season, it's just a valley. So if you're having serious issues, you can actually call someone. You can call 988 and select 1. Again, 988, select 1. That'll get you to a crisis line responder and that's anytime, day or night, 24-7, and you don't even have to be military. That's veteran or civilian. But let's be real. I know it's hard to do that. I know most of you won't. So I'm going to be just a little mean here. Even though I'm normally an encourager, sometimes I think you got to be a little mean. So I have to say, you cannot give up. Do not lose this fight. Do not make your parents or your family have to plan your fu- your funeral. Don't make them feel guilty they didn't check on you that they couldn't reach you, that you're, you know, something was going on, you were just impossible for them to get through to. You can hold on another day, and if you do, every day gets a little bit easier. So if you're in a fight anywhere you may lose, definitely call someone. Call a family member, a friend, or you can call 988-SELECT-1. But I do have to be mean. You cannot quit. Don't do this to your family or friends. Remember, you're just in a valley. The world needs you. Someday, your parents are going to need you. Because seriously, who's going to take care of your parents in 30 years? And I say that just because, you know, I'm helping take care of my dad right now. Last year I had to take care of my mom some uh, with a lot of other family members before she passed. But think about your own situation. Who's going to do it? Are you just going to let the system take care of them? I mean, how horrible is that? So you cannot quit. So don't you dare make that mistake. And think about there's something for you out there that you're meant to do. You just can't see it because you're in this immediate fog and pain and you can't see the end result. There's a mission out there for you. Maybe it's coach Little League, help others who are struggling with PTSD, run for office. There's something that there's some calling. There's something out there for you to do. You just haven't found it. But please just get involved. Stop isolating yourself. Visit a veterans group. Visit a church near you. Visit some family that you've lost touch with or you've grown apart from. Reach out to an old friend. One from high school. They're probably dying to talk to you. And so that's what I want to do is just beg of you to do that. Or you can call 988-SELECT-1. Always also mention you can start moving toward God because I believe that Jesus is like right there by your side right now at this very moment. And he's just waiting for you to reach out to him, to ask him for help. So you can call out his name and ask for salvation. Or if you have some other kind of faith, you can definitely lean on that. But if you don't, like consider reaching out to Jesus. I think 
And I know, speaking from ways he's helped me, that he can drive out the devil and all of those horrendous, evil thoughts that are in your head. They've been in mine too, but he wants to reach you. You can reach him anytime. You can pray. You can read the Bible some. If you don't have a Bible, you can download a Bible app. You can look up Bible websites online. Even simpler, on my episode notes, I think I have something that might help you. It's a story about my dog who was just a stray dog that we rescued, adopted from a shelter. The title of the article is Be Like Ozzy, Go Near Your Master. And um, it's a pretty good little article, I think, that it's helped some people. So give that a read. I think it'll help. Or just start reading the Bible. You can read some of Psalms or Proverbs or start with the New Testament with Matthew. All of that stuff you can find. And I think as you read the Bible, it'll start drawing you in and changing your life. So, hey, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you, uh, as I like to always remind people, if you want to reach out to me, you can comment. You can, I'll try to monitor those. Or you could just reach out privately by email. Uh, my email address is authorstanrmitchell at yahoo.com. Again, that's authorstanrmitchell at yahoo.com. You can say hello. You can vent. Send news tips. I love all those things. If you want to get some of my political views, um, I do have a moderate kind of optimistic view of politics, and you can find those through a link in the episode notes as well. That's called Thoughts from a Southern Gentleman, and I put that in the link as well. But thanks for hanging me, hanging with me tonight. It's truly an honor to talk with each of you every week and to know that there's a few out there who are listening, who care about our country and our military and all these issues the same way I do. So... I love you all. Never forget that God loves you more. I will catch you next week. You have been listening to The View from the Front. My name is Stan, and I am out.